Crisis staffing. Great opportunity, very lucrative. You can be helping out the community, short length of commitment. A lot of great things that make this sound really good, and most of them are. But there's a few things you want to kind of be aware of before you jump into crisis staffing with, you know, with both feet. So we're going to talk about all those reasons why it can be good, but also just things you need to be mindful of as we jump into crisis staffing on today's version of Travel Evolved. It's Travel Evolved. Welcome to the episode, everybody. I am, I'm glad to be back in Denver. It's been a great uh, summer slash fall. I do love Colorado Falls. And it's, there's just certain parts of the country that uh, things are just nice to be in. And this is one of them. I've got my breast cancer awareness shirt going here. I just chose that because I've got a sister that passed away about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago from that. So I, I and then research on Breast cancer is important, so I wanted to bring that up. So just kind of be mindful of that. My daughter's a cancer survivor, so uh, and a neuroblastoma is very similarly linked with breast cancer. So what they, the research they're doing on breast cancer helps a lot of pediatric cancers too, as many of you know, all my oncology folks out there. So welcome to the episode, crisis staffing. Now I'll tell you what, this is a, there's a lot going on here. And I wanna talk about what crisis staffing is because it's, you know, obviously the last year, year and a half, two years, crisis staffing has meant pandemic. <laughs> Clearly, that's been a big part of this. We're going to address the pandemic and any future issues like that that may still be lingering, coming back, or, or going into something brand new over the next, you know, decade or so. But crisis staffing involves a lot of different things. Basically, it's any time that there is an increased, substantially, more often than not, bill rate that hopefully... And I'll use the word hopefully because, as we'll get in this episode, you never know. Hopefully, is passed along to, in fact, the traveler, the one that's taking the risk and going out there. I will tell you, that, just to kind of sneak preview that, it's not always the same margins that what you're experiencing when there is non crisis staffing, but we'll, we'll discuss. I don't want to sound like I'm always on a conspiracy theory, but I've seen it. And this is why it's not a conspiracy theory. If it's actually real, then there's no conspiracy. So. It's really any time that there is an increase in a bill rate for desperate needs that are usually sudden, uh, usually, you know, potentially there's some planned stuff here, but the hospital and the facility knows that for whatever given point, they're going to have to have a substantial pay rate, which means they're going to assume they're going to throw out a larger bill rate in order to attract people because they need them. They cannot be without and for all the different reasons, and that's why it's called crisis staffing. 
obviously over the last little while, it's taken on a life of its own when it comes to the pandemic. And I think many of you that, that watch Travel Evolved, and I love all of you, are relatively new travelers. Some of you definitely are. Um, I don't know if many of you, but it looks like the demographic shows on what we can see that a lot of folks that tune into us are relatively new in the travel world. So welcome to you guys. I hope that this is a crash course in getting you evolved in your travel game, as I've always said. But it's interesting because it took on a life of its own. Obviously, crisis staffing really, again, as so many things in our world do, really surrounds supply and demand. You've got a huge demand. You don't know what the supply is going to be, you being the facility, right? So you're going to throw out as much as you feel you need to and not a penny more to get the staff that you have to have for whatever is uh, facing you. And again, we're going to talk about lots of different things. With, with the pandemic, man, I tell you, it was such an interesting period of time that looking back, and I'll just I'll start off the episode kind of this way. When early 2020 hit, I'm talking really more like February and March because it took us a while as a country to realize what was kind of going on. You guys may have known earlier. Some of you admitted to me you really didn't. You saw it and no one really knew. But some people, I think, had a great idea that something substantial was happening. There were many agencies that were ill-prepared to handle it because if you guys remember, and I'm just going to go back and give a brief little history lesson from this side of the desk, it was hitting in certain parts of the country. And there were agencies and systems, which also means vendors, that didn't necessarily have a big presence in those areas of the country. And I'm going back, I remember that the, the, the Seattle, Washington area was big. Obviously, New York City and, that's, and, and upstate and close to the city around New York was a big area. We started seeing hubs in like Georgia, oddly enough, at the very, very beginning where it was kind of getting, it was very isolated. And what was happening at the very beginning of this thing was that a lot of travelers from both allied and nursing were being pulled into these areas because there was crazy amounts of money being thrown at them. So it was working for the traveler that was willing to go. A lot of folks, again, maybe you guys were part of those people, were, were saying, I don't want to go. I don't know what I'm dealing with here. And it was really crazy because... There were a ton of people that were willing to risk a lot to go at the very beginning and to help out those communities and, and to, you know, of course, to be compensated accordingly. But if you remember, and I've said this to a lot of folks on the phone, it was really amazing that people were doing that because you, many of you really didn't know what you were getting into at that point. I'm talking the very, very beginning. The PPEs weren't existing. There was just a whole bunch of things. Then people were literally saying, I'm going to jump into the front lines and potentially risk my own health, maybe my family's health to help out the community. And so that's what frustrated me so much. When I saw agencies, and I, I had one firsthand that, that uh, said it right to my face saying, you know, asking me from an almost consultant type situation, couldn't we make more money and, you know, increase our margin with these rates being so high? Would a traveler know? And guys, that's that was a real conversation I had with a an agency that's been around, not not really a very large agency, but if they were saying it to me, how many of the big agencies were thinking the same thing? These bill rates were going to 200 plus an hour. And listen, there's some very smart men and women that run and run numbers for agencies or run them themselves. And they all, a lot of them said, I shouldn't say them all, but many thought we could slightly increase, maybe not so slightly increase our margin and make more money 
because the traveler is only concerned about what he or she is making. And I've, I've said that many times in different episodes, but I've never really come right out and said, I think, very specifically that I had a CEO and a CFO of a company look me right in the eye across from a conference table. It actually wasn't even a conference table. It was just a high-top table in their office. We were sitting, you know, shooting the you-know-what with. And they said, well, what do you think? Would it? Couldn't we just make more money? And, and the honest answer was, yeah, you probably could. But ethically, it drove me crazy because of what people were risking at that point. Now, as time went by... We all figured it out. You guys were the front lines of that, figuring all this thing out. And safety became, I mean, over time, not right away, but safety became less of a concern. The money stayed high because of that supply and demand. But um, this is why I want to do this episode, because I want you guys to go into these sorts of scenarios and these opportunities with your eyes wide open. I am not here to judge whether or not you take a crisis situation. I just want to, again... For those of you that are new and those of you who have never done this, and, and for those of you that have and can attest to what I'm about to say, you really do have to go into this with your eyes wide open. So it is about supply and demand. And as time went by, the demand remained for the pandemic, just to finish that kind of scenario. And the supply remained low, and then the supply started to fill in some of the gaps. And what we saw here about, I guess, seven, eight months ago, back in the spring, late early spring i think of 2022 we saw where the demand started to substantially reduce and the supply of travelers was at an all-time high now i don't have any statistics or or way to really prove that but i could just tell you from my standpoint there was a huge amount an excess of travelers and what there was was an excess of travelers that wanted to demand a super high pay rate and the facilities no longer had that demand. So they started lowering their rates and a lot of travelers kind of went, well, what do we do now? I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should take a job or not take a job. And if you could look back in hindsight, I think a lot of people would have jumped on whatever opportunity there was there. I did some episodes saying to do that. And I'm not always right, but I guessed right in that case. I said, take what you can because it's just going to keep dropping until it kind of levels off, which I feel like it has here since I think you know May, June. We've seen rates kind of go up and down. Even this summer, I saw some go down, but now they're kind of back up and they've kind of stabilized, I think, because we don't know what we're going into here this fall and winter. Um, we don't know what the cold and flu season will be like. We don't know if there's going to be uh, more people getting sick. We don't know if, if the spread of whatever's going to go on is going to be more serious or if it's going to remain kind of less hospitalization but more contagious. Again, I'm, I'm speaking from a completely non-clinical standpoint. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing from those of you out there. I, that's certainly not, uh, don't take that for me thinking that I know exactly what this is, but that's what I'm hearing from a lot of you, that it's more contagious, less, less severe. So we'll see how that pans out to hospitalizations, which obviously means more needs in the traveler world. So pandemics is definitely one of those areas where it was the first time. If I would have been doing this episode four years ago, I wouldn't have even mentioned the pandemic because we weren't talking about that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a thing. So let's move into some of the other, I think, things that we're going to continue to see. If this episode is going to stand the test of time, I would like to have a, a, you know, t- a discussion about things that I've seen before and what we're going to guess is going to continue to be, quote-unquote, crisis staffing. So let's talk about some things that just happened. Natural disasters. We obviously have... Every year we have a hurricane season. We watched, I can't remember. I was, listen, I rode through two hurricanes. Well, actually, I didn't. I rode through one hurricane when I lived in Pensacola, Florida, and the eye went right over me. I, don't, I think it, by the time it hit me, it was a Category 3, and I was about five, eh, 
three and a half to four miles north of, of Pensacola Beach, which means by the time it got to me, there was a you know it was still it was still was pretty intense. When an eye goes over you in a hurricane, the wind changes direction. If that makes sense, it's blowing one way, and if you're crazy enough or lucky enough to see an eye of a hurricane, and I did, I went out and took pictures. My car was completely covered green with the leaves because you couldn't even see the the color of the car because there were so many leaves that were hitting it. As the hurricane the eye goes over and the next wave, the opposite side of the circle, it's blowing one way, then it blows the other. Most people don't experience that because if you miss the eye, then it stays the same direction that it's moving in. But it was pretty pretty wild to see how that went. We had, we had trees literally snapping. I'm talking oak trees in, in northern Florida, oak trees that were three, four feet across were snapping. So scary stuff. It was mostly we were worried about things hitting you know my apartment at the time but I've been through those now we just had that hit Florida again we've obviously had I remember four or five years ago the big ones that were hitting Houston last few years they've hit the Carolinas they've hit New Jersey hard so this happens every single year and I've been hearing recently a lot of folks have been going down there this and there I don't want to get into FEMA discussions and as the government releases money and and how that affects it it's, it's it's too long of a conversation for today's episode, but let's just talk about what I'm hearing on what happened just a, a week or two ago. A lot of travelers jumped in, ran down there for whatever reason you guys do. It could be for money. It could be to help the community. It could be a combination of both. Not to, Again, there's no judgment here by me, but a lot of them, and I saw this a lot on social media, there were a lot of people that were really, really upset about the conditions in which they were working in and promises that were made by the agencies in which they were going to go down and do that work through. And I read a lot of this and I said to myself, first and foremost, definitely not people that listen to this show because they would know you kind of have to, you know, you're going to get what you, <laughs> you're going to receive what's expected. And I think most veteran travelers that have ever done anything like this know that you're going down into conditions that are horrible. They're going to throw a ton of money at you, which for many of you, you've got that Marine Corps mentality and you can handle it. But for some folks who aren't kind of built for that, for lack of a better term, it's a surprise and it's hard for them. And the money that you're making or the service that you're providing the community or the experience that you're receiving, whatever the reason is that you went down there for, doesn't oftentimes match and it doesn't justify the end, which means you get disappointment and you're frustrated and you're scared and the, and you're upset and you wished, like I saw a lot this past week or two on social media, that you wouldn't have done it. There were agencies that, and again, look this up, that were promising certain things. There was agencies, I, I saw people that went down to hurricane relief with some hospitals that literally didn't even get to work. And they were told by their agency, run down there, we'll take care of you. And it turned out they didn't need them and they were not even they did all of this and ran down to basically a a, a disaster zone to not have a, a, a bit of income and you know have even you know difficulties getting back out of that area after they went down there there was just terrible stories which is what I wanted to do this episode about so natural disasters are difficult I often would say that it feels to me like what I've experienced over the last 20, I can almost say 23 now, let me say 22, because it's not till Thanksgiving that I've actually been doing this for about 23 years, actually November 1st, so just a few weeks away, almost 23 years, is that when it comes to natural disasters, the crisis staffing for those, for many people, majority of travelers, it doesn't 
outweigh what you're experiencing. There's the money and the self-satisfaction and, the, and the, the feeling of helping people oftentimes pales in comparison to what they have to go through as a traveler. And most folks that do this, most don't do it again. So really think about what it is you're going through. Try to do some research on what you're being told. Try to do some research on the company that you're working through. Make sure that they're providing and giving you accurate information. Is this company brand new? Do they have a history of dealing with, with, um, with, with crisis staffing and disaster staffing? Or are you running down because a couple of words from a recruiter and you're walking into something that is more on a higher level than any travel assignment you've ever had. And that's what you got to think about when it comes to natural disasters. Okay, I'm going to call this next part. I'm going to classify system conversions into crisis staffing. I mean, we're talking about where obviously they're going from one system, one charting system to another. To another. The whole hospital has to have conversions where they're doing it maybe unit by unit or they're getting a little bit more aggressive. This is similar to a crisis. I mean, I guess it's not a crisis. It's a bad, bad thing to call it a crisis. But it is that high demand, potentially low supply scenario that oftentimes does come with a higher bill rate. So these are, again, I said there's a few things you can prepare for, a few things you kind of have a, a longer list of time frame that you know that you know the assignment's going to be over. These Most of the things we're going to talk about today, you don't know when the assignment's going to end. You don't oftentimes have a, a concrete end date. It could be the next day, it could be today, it could be tomorrow. With system conversions, you have a general idea. Now, oftentimes these are obviously not 13-week assignments. Some are, I've seen those. But overwhelmingly, they are a period of time where they're going to throw a lot of money at, a little bit more money, not always a lot, but more money at you to be able to come down to these facilities to help them do a conversion just so that they can pull travelers, whether it's allied in, in imaging or nurses, off that floor and then replace them with you, a traveler, and then pull you back out of there and get their get their staff in there while the conversion's being taking place. Of all the crisis, which again, maybe I shouldn't have done, put this in there, but I don't know what else to talk about this in all of the episodes we've got planned. This is the one that I like the best because it is, you know, it, it is should be some slightly higher pay because oftentimes, you know, if it's in a location in the country that's not the most attractive or it's difficult or it's in a cold weather area in the dead of winter, hospitals and facilities struggle with this stuff. So they do have to throw a little bit more money at you, more so than the average uh, assignment in that general area, which means it can be lucrative, it can be rewarding. You still have to deal with some things we're going to talk about down the road. I didn't mention housing and that sort of thing. We're going to have to deal with that, but you do typically have a general rule of thumb of a finite end to this assignment. So I do like that because it tells you and gives you some ability to be able to be prepared for what you're going to do next. But system conversions are just one of those things I wanted to kind of throw in there because I don't know where else to put it that kind of fall along the line, not necessarily of a crisis staffing, but more of that higher bill rate because of the demand that they're going to need for that many people in that facility to kind of be able to help them convert to whatever their new system is going to be. So um, the same thing kind of goes along the lines, and I'm going to, I'll classify both these together at the same time. When a unit or a hospital or facility itself is expanding, when they've got a brand new unit or they're expanding the ED or they're, they're adding a whole new floor to a med surge or the imaging department or the rehabilitation department is getting an increase in size, this is where they're going to need some staff to come in and oftentimes help them out right at the very beginning to get some things kind of moving along so that they can increase and do that, for lack of a better word, that hiring process they're going to need to do so well to be able to get more of their permanent staff in there. And again, if this is a facility that really, really struggles with 
permanent staff in the first place, this could end up being a good, long, lucrative assignment for you. If they've expanded a unit, let's just take labor and delivery for a minute. If they've expanded the labor and delivery unit because the, the community is, is having more babies and they're struggling to get permanent staff in there, this, this could be a nice little place to hang your hat for a long time. And they typically do throw a little bit more money than it is what is normal, and I'll put quotes in the air again, what is more normal and what is more average for that facility at that time of year because they've got to get deliveries going. They've got to get patients in there. They want to see babies come into the world. So they're going to spend a little bit more money to help give them and buy themselves a little bit of time to start getting some permanent staff to go in there. So those two areas, I think, are, again, like I've said, I'm repeating myself, but why they're not really crisis. They absolutely are an opportunity for you to go. But in these cases, you kind of need to be aware that in that latter case, when it comes to a, a, an expansion or a new unit being developed, you could literally find your replacement could be hired at any given point. So less of a guaranteed end date, so to speak. And oftentimes they do; they are upfront. Some hospitals aren't, but some hospitals are upfront by telling you, "Hey, we've got a, you know, we've, we need ten, you know, day, ten night labor and delivery nurses." In our example, and as we start to bring them on board, we're going to be, you know, replacing, you know, our travelers with that. So some hospitals are good enough to let you know that as the hiring process moves through, you may have a, a, a shorter notice for your end but again i've seen these things where sometimes people have said i they put a, a unit in there and it was six months three assignments even where i i still had this great position so i love those about those things so you guys get the gist it, let me move on to one that i do think is crisis i want to talk a little bit about strikes Now i mentioned a few episodes ago that i used to work for a company that did strikes it's where i actually got my teeth sharpened in this industry I had no idea, as I've mentioned many, many times. And this was I, I was a, I was a nursing guy, so for all my allied friends out there, I apologize. That's where I came from. I came from the nursing side of this industry. And so strikes were interesting because I went to work for this company, like I said, and literally a month later, there was a strike out in New York. And I'd never been to the city. And next thing I know, I'm driving a 16-passenger empty van from Newark, New Jersey, through Midtown out to long to Long Island, <laughs> and talk about going from never being a city to literally trying to go. Now, fortunately, we were driving through about eight o'clock at night, so the traffic wasn't as bad. But I literally went right through Broadway and everything else, and I was just like white knuckle driving because there was like five of us driving these vans because we were flying travelers, mostly nurses, obviously in and out of every all three major airports, even Islip Airport out on Long Island. And we were running a, 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 the Plainview strike. It was out on Long Island, and it was insane. I had no idea what travel nursing was at the time, let alone strikes. Um, but strikes obviously come up. We had a few this summer that were, I guess, talking about, about happening, and I watched a lot of people asking my company, are you guys doing the strike? And our answer was no, because the chance of them going is really slim. Now, what these companies that do strikes are really good at is convincing every traveler on the planet that they're going to go because they need you to buy into this strike going so that they've got the bodies ready to go. And when it doesn't go, you're kind of stuck and left with whatever. And a lot of these companies that do strikes are, are more than happy to say, well, we've got all these great jobs to let you go in front of. And so they try to put you onto those. But many of you have found yourself in a situation where you were counting on a strike going, you were already spending that money or putting it into your bank account or paying off bills, and lo and behold, the thing didn't go. So strikes are probably the 
most unreliable crisis staffing there is because you've got to count on a union and a facility not being able to negotiate themselves into whatever they're striking over, which is typically a pay increase or some sort of a ratio potentially, a nurse-to-patient ratio or an allied professional ratio and what they're handling or all across the whole system. Or it's time off. or There's obviously a whole bunch of different reasons why they're going, but usually it's a combination of many of those things. So those are the toughest because you you, you get to you know try to get your your money and you start thinking about what your money's going to be look like when you start spending it and then oftentimes more often than not and I can speak from a lot of experience at least back in you know 20 years ago plus more often than not they didn't go and I remember being on this side of the desk as I've always told you I was going to share with you on Travel Evolved it was a chore and the the, the message was from the head honchos of that company push that this is going to happen don't you know don't it, it, not to the point where they wanted but they didn't want you guys reading like the what what was being said in the newspapers at the time yeah it was newspapers back then or occasionally on the internet what was happening with the negotiations they wanted you to believe that it was going to go so that they made sure that if it went that they had ample bodies to be able to staff that entire facility which if they didn't then they were going to they were going to get fired or there was going to be an issue because there was a lot of deposits and a lot of money that were given to a lot of these these agencies to make sure they had the money to get the bodies out there. Now, the, the thing about strikes, as you guys know, is typically when they do go, even if it's even if they decide to strike and they're already settling, there is a two or three day period where they actually have to be on strike, which means there's a point in a strike where you're guaranteed at least a certain number of shifts at that ridiculously, wonderfully high pay rate. So there's that. Strikes are tough because I can jump into these a little bit because. You're typically they're trying to staff for the least amount of bodies that they can, and that's a good thing for travelers that want to make money. It's a bad thing for travelers that don't want to literally work seven days a week or 14 days in a row, and that's what you're going in to get into when you start working in these these strikes. I know from experience because I was running operations on them and I was working months in a row, and sometimes I was literally working 18-hour days where it was you know it wasn't is a mentally taxing is what you guys have to do with but I was I've never been more exhausted from work in my life than I was at the ripe old age of ooh I'm not going to tell you what that was but it was 20 it was almost 23 years ago it was 22 years ago for sure and almost 23 um I, my first thanksgiving I celebrated was was at a strike which means I went to work literally about Two weeks from right now, 23 years ago, and we was I was on in that strike and on, on Thanksgiving had my Thanksgiving dinner in a hotel with all the other people that were working it. So strikes are tough because they are a little bit of a different monster. They are a set amount of money, usually very very high. Like I said, they're trying to staff the least amount of people they can, which means they want people to work insane hours. Now, my experience has been that once a strike starts going on, if, it's, if they're not negotiating and negotiations are falling apart, as that strike to continues, and it looks like it's going to be a longer one, and some of the ones I went to up, you know, I did some up in north of, uh, north of the city, just like an hour north of the city, they start to give you some breaks. They start to get enough bodies in there. People start hearing about it nationally. They all start wanting to go, which does, does give people breaks. And people could actually leave the strike and go do an assignment. And if it was going on in that time, they could come back and do it. So, again, politically aside how you feel about unions and strikes, and I'm not trying to upset anybody who, who likes unions or disagrees with this or doesn't like the idea, I'm just talking about it from a practical standpoint, whether or not it, what you're going to get into when you get into a strike. Now, again, 
I'm going to talk about housing and all these things. I purposely didn't mention it during the disasters. I'm purposely not mentioning it during conversions. And I'm not going to talk too much about it with strikes, with the exception of hospitals, I'm sorry, <laughs> agencies are almost always providing the housing on strikes because they're going to rent out, we did, entire hotels, book them. They're going to put two travelers in a room. One was trying, hopefully working days, one's working nights, at least that's what we used to. You, if you can pick your roommate, great, but oftentimes you don't know. So it's tough living. This is not you know fun. I, mean, I used to have travelers come to me and say, someone stole my toothbrush or this is missing. And it was like, oh my gosh. And, and listen, I get it. I think I got the brunt of what was really upsetting was how tough the working environment was. So when it came to coming home and ready to go to sleep and their bed had been slept in or something was missing, they lost their minds because they were mentally exhausted. I would give these men and women the benefit of the doubt. And I was a young guy in my early 30s. Oh, I said it, didn't I? And it was, I mean, I think I was 30, to be frank. So I think um, it was, I could take it. They dumped on me. I, I could put a smile on my face. And, and the guy that was that owned the company liked the fact that I was able to put out those fires and, and get people happy. I don't care if it was, you know, it was 11 o'clock at night for a lot of ER transitions or if someone get home. It could be 2 o'clock in the morning and I had to be available to make sure I could fix the issues because it was important that people were happy because they were unhappy with the work and, you know, with the work conditions. So strikes are, are their own monster. They're tough. I know a lot about them, and that I think the biggest problem with them for today's purposes and episode is that they don't oftentimes go. So you are putting all your eggs in this basket, and for those of you that have the ability to spend some time not working, and I hope that you listen to some episodes like, oh gosh, the ones we talked about, about creating a business mindset, where you've got that nest egg, these make perfect sense. You can roll the dice, figure out if you want to do a strike, if you can do a strike, if there's one happening, and if it doesn't go, you're not in a panic mode. You're not stuck or in trouble financially because you've got that nest egg. If it does go, you, you scored if that's what you want to do and you're able to go make a whole bunch of money and then you can commit to an assignment or take some time off and, re, and, and recharge your batteries. But for those of you that are looking for, that don't have that nest egg, I would urge you to be very, very careful with putting all your eggs in that basket. I would still continue to you know, apply to travel assignments and if one of those hits and you get an offer, I almost would, my personal opinion would be I would almost pass on it pass on the a strike and just take the travel assignment because it's a guarantee. And you can't second guess if you if you found that the strike went, you're like, oh, I could have made it. How often would it not go? So it's it's a law of averages, like going to Vegas. I mean, what, what makes more sense to you? And I think that there are certain people that may be watching this that shouldn't be going to Vegas because you don't have that nest egg. So you kind of have to have that money built up in order to take that risk because what's the risk? You might be out of work for a month. And if you can't afford to be out of work for a month, that's when I would say, I don't know, I would hold off on the strikes. But all of these, the, the, I guess getting back to strikes, the, the problem with them is that they can end relatively suddenly. Now, unlike a lot of different things like the natural disaster we talk about, you typically have a little bit of a heads up. More often than not, I, I mean, I got to be very good friends with a lot of travelers that were on some of these strikes. I did one in like even a small little town in Kentucky one time. There was only about two dozen people there. And when this when it does end or things are settling, there's almost a, a, a relief that okay, good, I don't have to do this anymore. Or now the decision's been taken away because I was thinking about not staying, and now I just there's no option. So more often than not, it's almost a relief of like, man, I'm glad I'm not going to be doing this anymore. But you do get a little bit. Typically, you get a little bit of a heads up. Hey, they're coming back to the table, and it looks like they settled. And within a couple of days, oftentimes or less than a week, 
it's over, staff's back in, and you're on a plane, typically not driving to these, um, and you're on your way home to you know try to start you know square you know scrounging to get a, a, an assignment. So there, all of these are tough. The length of the assignment, if I'll just address that for right now, obviously pandemics, that's not an issue. It 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 can change. With regard to length of assignment, I wouldn't say that the assignment ends quickly, but what happens is the rates can oftentimes suddenly drop. As many of you saw this past spring, there was a lot of complaints about, I signed a contract, I didn't maybe get to go to it, but maybe I was here and all of a sudden before I started or a few weeks in or before my assignment was over, the rate changed. A lot of you have said, well, how can an agency allow that? And I've told you guys many times on Travel Evolve, that we're taking our orders from the ones that are paying the bills, and that is the facility. So for all these agencies to sit there and you know say, we're going to defend you, you guys know better than that now. Us agencies want the opportunity for the job order so that we can attract more people to the assignment. If a whole system or a vendor is mad at us because we put demands on them to for all these different things that travelers think that we can, Guess what? They're not going to offer us the job anymore. They're going to offer it to the other 400 companies that look exactly like us. And we're out because we raised a stink. So that's, I'm just trying, showing the honest transparency that most people in my position don't want to rock that boat. I don't want to rock that boat. We want the job. So for an agency, the difference between us and a lot of other agencies is that I'm not going to tell you we're going to rock the boat. I want you to go in this with your eyes wide open. And going back to episode number one, communication is key, is you should know this. And if your agency or your recruiter is telling you differently, I've not seen that in 23 years where an agency will make demands on a facility to adhere to a contract or a rate like we're talking about right now. And all of you experience that. I'm sure that some of the big companies that have a lot of buying power, I'm talking about the big three that could actually put a dent or hurt a facility if they weren't there to help staff them, and it's legitimate, they could put more demands on than a smaller agency. That's one of the big values that those big companies have is that they should be able to protect you more because, like I say, they're buying, so to speak, in bulk, which means they've got buying power. They've got more power than I do. They've got more power than a, even a big, big company that's close to them. They've got more power. But I still don't believe that most of those agencies are still rocking the boat very much because they don't want to lose that contract either to one of the other two or three big players in the in the marketplace. So it's it's all the same thing. It's all the same game. So in that scenario, assignments weren't really ending early with the pandemic. They were just being changed, right? You guys saw that. They were sometimes we saw people ending. I saw personally where we were booking travelers, travelers just gotten there and all of a sudden for some weird reason or mysterious reason they no longer needed the traveler, and they blamed it on things that were other than clinical ability, which I, I didn't care for. They should have just said, hey, we overordered. I didn't say that right. They were blaming clinical ability or lack of experience. They, oh, the traveler got here, and, and he or she wasn't as good as we thought. They didn't know how to do it. And I'm looking at their resume going, yeah, I don't think that's true. If they worked at Johns Hopkins, they can work at a small facility up in Maine. But we weren't seeing that. So I wish they would have been more on, more honest about why they were letting people go. They should have said, hey, it's pandemic. We had crazy rates. We no longer need these people, so we're going to end the assignment. I think that would have been a better way to go, but most facilities, as you guys know, didn't do that. So in that case, the assignments weren't really aren't really short, but, but certainly natural disasters, right? Those things can end really quickly. I don't care for that because all of a sudden you're out of a job, and again, if you don't have – 
the financial ability to play in that field, don't play in that field. Make sure you, you get your career going. And I would advise all of you to get your financial nest egg going so that you have the ability to have these as some of your options. Please don't gamble on a paycheck if you don't have the ability to, to lose and not get a contract or have something end very, very quickly. Obviously, when you're talking about, like I said, when we're talking about the um, conversions or a bigger unit opening up, those you typically have the answer to and you know. Strikes are almost like anything else. They're probably the ones that end out of the blue with days, if not um, even hours, which typically days before you're out of a job. So that scares me. On all of these, every one of these, housing is an issue. So let's talk about that for a minute. No matter what, even just computer conversions and and or expansions or additional short-term needs for a larger ER or a larger unit or a brand new you know wing onto a facility, if it's a small town, if it's a small town, you're gonna have trouble with housing because how many of you are there? If we're talking about a little town in the middle of let's just I don't know an example somewhere where there's it's not very heavily populated and there's not a bigger a big enough city within a reasonable commutable distance, right? Because most of you have to be within a certain period of time to be able to be at that facility. You're going to be competing against everybody else for the housing, which means it's going to start to go further south as far as what you're able to secure to the point where you can't secure anything. And I cannot tell you guys how many times I've seen computer conversions and expansions even where they keep ordering travelers, and there literally is no place to house them. But yet they they don't care. They don't. I shouldn't say they don't care. They're they just want people to figure it out, and they're hoping that if they keep ordering, that you wonderful travelers will have some sort of ability to be able to figure out how to stay. Maybe they're going to get people that are in RVs, or who knows what they're thinking. But man, it's crazy how often I've seen these. I've staffed these, and we get to a point where the travelers like we can't find any place else to go. There is literally nothing else. To, to live and to stay at while we're on this assignment. So even there, housing can become a pretty big deal. Obviously, when we're talking about natural disasters, which many of you guys were telling us about and a lot of other people about this past week, week and a half, was that there was nothing available. I mean, when you have a hurricane, for example, and it wipes out power and it, you're not even allowed to get in the community, how are you expecting to be able to work and live at a hospital? Typically what happens is you guys are being forced to live in, and work at the hospital only. I mean, that's what happened down in, in southwestern Florida. It was that everybody was having to live there. And people were very surprised that that was the case. And I, and I sat there, and again, I'm trying to be, that's what I'm looking for, not trying to be judgmental, but I'm like, what did you think? I mean, it's a hurricane. It's, there's nothing there. And every single person in that community is going to go to the closest housing that's available because they want to be close to their home and their possessions and their lives that they are walking away from, which if any of you guys have lost a home, that's, that's devastating to people. So, of course, they're going to take up everything that's there and they're going to keep spreading out. So where is it that the healthcare providers think that they're going to stay? You're staying at the hospital oftentimes. And, again, I was a little bit surprised that there was so many people complaining about housing. What I really saw mostly, I, I get to be fair, was that it mostly was being misled by a few agencies. And again, I can't even tell you what those agencies were. I wouldn't anyway on this. But there were some agencies that were staffing and they weren't guaranteeing that there would even be of jobs available down there. But housing did make those Facebook groups frequently. And I just kind of shook my head and went, you know, 
this is why I'm doing this episode and why it's so timely is that when you deal with crisis, you've got to be that person. And I guess I'll pause here to guys tell you that this is really what this is all about. We used to say it in the strike business that it is not for everybody. And clearly, crisis staffing is not for everybody. When COVID hit, very beginning, it wasn't for everybody. As time went by and things got safer and rates remained high, it became more for everybody, right? Because they were able to make really good money. And uh, travelers really loved that. I told you guys, agencies were really loving it, making a whole bunch of money. But all of these scenarios, if you're listening to this episode and you're unsure if you have the intestinal fortitude, the mental aptitude to be able to do a crisis assignment, if you're questioning it, my answer to you is you're probably not ready for it because it is physically exhausting, very mentally exhausting, and those two together can put you in in jeopardy, your license in jeopardy, your career in jeopardy, and you got to think about whether it's worth it or not. I'm not trying to talk you guys out of this on this episode. Matter of fact, I'm the opposite. I think that it's a really great scenario for those individuals that have that sort of intestinal fortitude that can do this sort of work. It's a wonderful opportunity to help and to make great money. Whatever your feelings are, and I mean, obviously strikes aside, you're going to be able to help people. And even strikes, by the way, I'll throw this out there. I think that strikes, being a quote-unquote scab traveler to you're there to serve a purpose. And I think for those people that are very union-based that don't like travelers that do this, I would say because of those men and women that came in to take your job over, it allowed you hopefully to be able to come to the negotiation table in a, in a better place. So I, you don't know, but I think that the end result is without them, you may have had to settle or the hospital may have had to fold up its doors and close, which neither one of those are really good for your career if it's a hospital you want. So consider that as you're judging. But clearly, when we're talking about, you know, devastations, national disasters, those sorts of things, housing is going to be an issue. I told you already with strikes and that sort of things, it's going to be a problem. But I think the biggest problem in all of this is the unexpected. And again, for those of you that can do this, absolutely go for it. Now, let's talk about credentialing for a second, because credentialing is another one of those areas where you've got to have all your ducks in a row. And I've told you guys on on our our, our show a lot of times, and I think that's important for you anyway. It's amazing to me how every day someone will apply to a job with my company, and lo and behold, they haven't updated their resume for three or six months. And nowadays, hospitals want an up-to-date resume. And I get a lot of you travelers have had many times in your life because you're so darn good and you are so you look so darn good on paper that some facilities have said, I don't care, this guy or gal's got all these certifications, they've got all these years of experience, they've worked at these major hospitals. I'm assuming they've been traveling. But for a lot of you, that's not going to fly. So the same kind of thing with your credentials and with your your immunizations, your medical records, these have to be way up to speed. So if you're thinking about any of these kind of topics of crisis staffing, be ready because the facilities and the agencies that are going to be representing you are not going to have a lot of time to play around with somebody that doesn't have all this stuff. They'll pass you over and move to somebody that does because oftentimes it'll come down to, who can go? Because Joint Commission and state definitely, in a lot of these cases, are going to be all over that facility making sure that everyone's compliant. So make sure your credentialing is compliant because you will not have time to be able to go through and get things done at the 11th hour. So, all right, here's where I really want to get into the last little bit of meat and potatoes in this episode. I really want to talk about this higher pay. With higher pay that you guys are getting, typically that obviously means that the bill rate must be increase substantially. That's what I kind of use as my barometer for what is in fact is crisis staffing. We saw this a lot 
I knew it all the time, but it wasn't until 2020 where I realized just how greedy some agencies can be. And it really kind of makes you sick when you're talking about people that are willing to go down to a hurricane or people that are willing to walk into an ICU during a pandemic and an agency is is figuring out how much more money they can make. It's kind of sickening. I said on the episode we did when we were talking about the pandemic a few, you know, a year and a half ago, it's our job actually got easier as an agency standpoint. We actually had to do less and in some cases, we were making double the money. You guys were too. But even for those agencies that, that were honest and kept their margins the same as they did previous to the pandemic, they were accepting people faster. They were looking the other way on certain credentials. You were getting auto offers without having, I mean, you could have been a you-know-what and still getting an offer. If you wouldn't have interviewed well, you were still getting offers, right? Everybody was winning. And agencies, our job, hear this was easier during the pandemic. We had an easier time and we were making double the money. So why was it that agencies felt that they could and and even needed to increase their margins and make more? And again, not every agency did that, but a lot of them did because I saw the packages that you guys were sending me and I had the exact same assignments at the exact same bill rate. And I went, wow, I would think the agencies would be dropping their rates where in fact they were increasing them like I've said repeatedly, because nobody on your side of the equation was paying attention to what was actually available. All you did is, oh my gosh, dollar signs in your eyes, and here's what I'm going to take home gross weekly, and you ran at it, and you went for it, and a bunch of agencies went, and it's it's horrible. It's one of the ugly, dark sides of our business that I cannot stand, and it wasn't always like this, and it can change. I'm telling you guys, it needs to change. And you're the ones that are going to decide that. Stop taking assignments with agencies that don't pay as much as the other guys or gals. Unless there's an incredibly compelling reason why you would. I, and I cannot think of one. It's the same thing. We credential, we pay you, we offer you insurance, and that's about it. So why is it that you're going to work for companies that are literally paying hundreds of dollars a week to work alongside of somebody else that's making that much more money than you? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, soapbox stepping off of. Um, I guess here's what I will say. Larger agencies tend to get a lot of these crisis assignments. So the good news is, if there is good news, they can. the reason they get them, by the way, is because they can fulfill them. So again, I'm talking about the big, big guys. If there's a, you know, a, a place that's, let's just say a hurricane hits in Texas, they're going to call one of three to five companies and say, hey, we're going to start with you because we, we're going to need a bunch of bodies down here quick. If FEMA's involved, it kind of that's part of it too. They want to know that there's fulfillment. Before they start reaching out to the medium-sized companies, they're going to go to the big guys. The bad news is for that, you guys already know from listening to Travel Evolved that the big guys have the biggest margins. But that's the way it sometimes falls. So already know that if you're dealing with a strike, if you're dealing with a well, not so much a pandemic, because they start off that way, but it got to everybody. If you're dealing with a, a conversion, if you're dealing with a natural disaster, more often than not, the bigger the company, the more chances they have to fulfill it. That's why they go for them. I totally understand that. But you should go into it knowing that this company is making a bigger percentage than the average company that's not getting these opportunities. Most agencies don't get opportunities to handle natural disasters. I mean, many do, but the over, you know, out of however many companies there are, let's just say there's 600 companies that really are healthcare staffing on a travel situation. There's probably less than 50 that get those sorts of things, which means there's that many companies that aren't even seeing this. So 
you're going with the known entity of a lowest paying, highest margin company that there is. Just, just know that going through. But they're there because they do it. They serve the purpose. They're getting those jobs done. But that's the reason why. So let's talk about company greed a little bit. I did sort of, sort of just a few seconds ago how I saw it got, got a lot worse than it has been. So actually, let's talk about traveler greed. I mean, am I actually going to use that word traveler and greed? Yeah, it's rare. It's real. I don't necessarily think it's something that you should be ashamed of. There is, there is, yeah. Okay. Here's what, here's how I'm struggling here, as you guys can tell, because it's a difficult thing to talk about. Travelers can be greedy, but I'm not necessarily saying that that is a bad thing. Where it gets bad is when they have unrealistic expectations of what and how long that's going to last for. You guys saw it. You guys saw the travelers during the pandemic that were brand new in this industry that were getting upset when you what when the jobs weren't paying $8,000 a week. And a lot of you went, what is going on? How is this person even thinking that they would make that? For a lot of you, you can get shamed into, I can't believe you're going to go do this crisis staffing. It's all about the money. And I, this is just my opinion. I wouldn't let people do that to you. I've said for years, I think education, law enforcement, and healthcare are three of our most biggest needs we have in this country, and they're some of the least compensated. I've said this before, when a recruiter is making more money than a traveler in this industry, we got a problem. It's not the way it should be, but it is. A really good, solid recruiter, as I've said to you guys before, makes more money than an average or decent traveler, if they're really, really good. Those men and women that have been doing this for a long time and have hundreds of people working for them because they've got a great rapport and a great assistant or two, they're making a ton of money. They're probably making more than you. And I think that's a shame. So don't feel bad on the rare occasions, whether it's a pandemic and it's longer lasting or one of these short little assignments that you're making money and you're going to go out and, and get paid appropriately. I've already told you in this whole entire episode that you're going to earn every single penny of it. So you just got to let that go. You've got to be good with your own head and forget about what other people think. And I do that, by the way, all the time. This Our society has become one where people just love to hate on people and they, they, they have so much time in their hands. Whenever someone makes a negative comment about anything we're doing, I'm just like, my gosh, what, what do you have in your life that you're going to take the time to, you know, inadvertently or not even inadvertently, but ill-advised and incorrectly rip on something you don't even have any clue about. And what, and I don't let it bother me. I just don't. There's just no way I'm going to let something like that bother me because I know where we're going with this company. I know we're going with this podcast, YouTube channel, and it makes complete sense. By the way, I'll share this with you guys. It's happening this industry is going to change. And I think most of you that have been listening to us and know what's happening, everything changes with time. And things improve and they get better and they get better and better. They should. And in, in travel healthcare, there are improvements that are coming and are happening that are going to make things better for you guys. And there's going to be a ton of people that are going to fight tooth and nail and scratch and claw to stop that change and that evolution from happening because it's going to cost them personal money. And I have nothing against recruiters, but unfortunately, I will tell you that they are a dying breed. And you can believe me if you want to, but there is a point very, very soon where travelers are going to realize that they don't need that salesmanship. They don't need that baloney. They, they want to know instantly 
when a job is available, they don't want to have to wait for that recruiter to get to them. There are so many reasons why it's so archaic that our our whole entire process in in healthcare staffing is the way it is. It made sense 10, 15 years ago. It does not make any sense in 2022, moving into 2023. So we'll see. Like I said, these episodes will stand the test of time. If you're listening to this episode and it's 2025, you'll, you'll know if I was right here in 2022. But things are changing, and you guys can be a part of it. And, and I'm telling you, the first ones that jump on this stuff are going to enjoy some real great high-paying assignments for a long, long time. So don't be worried about being greedy. You guys have, you guys, again, I'm not kissing you-know-what here. You guys have all the risks in this in this equation. You really do. We risk money, right? But most of us companies have the ability to risk money on a traveler or two because we're looking at the, the full conglomerate of what we have out there on the road. It's not actually that risky if you really think about it. And there are warning signs. So you cut that person loose. You don't ever hire them again. You put them as a DNR and there you go. You guys, on the other hand, have risk from the agency. You have risk from your job, from the hospital itself. There are so many things that can terminate an assignment so fast that it is time you guys started making money and making more of it. So do not feel guilty if one of these types of assignments is attractive to you. Jump on it. Go for it. Today's episode is really only about making sure that you have the head, the mental capacity to understand what you're going into. And I would really, really urge you, this is one of those episodes like if like no other episode I've ever done that you have got to talk to somebody that has done this before. Please don't go on a strike. Please don't do a conversion. Please don't do any kind of a disaster relief. I mean, don't even... and. and pandemic, I guess you could say a thing, without talking to another traveler or 10 that have gone through this and done this before because you really need to understand what the experience is about. And for those of you that have done this, I would urge you to give that advice and mentor people of what they're going to go into because you know you don't want to be working alongside of somebody that can't handle this and it's a revolving door. You need to be able to depend upon your, your, your former and fellow traveler, fellow, not former, Every day, So you don't want someone who's going to be going on an assignment that you're choosing to take who can't handle it mentally or physically. So all of us need to be on the same page. This is when communication, and by the way, like I said, it's going to, the better communication is coming from you guys, not just what you're hearing on Travel Evolved. I'm trying to get the conversation started, but please ask somebody who has experienced this firsthand what this is like. So at any rate, lastly, here's the only thing I'm going to talk about. And I, this was almost kind of ironic. I've mentioned this a few times, but it's a crazy. You guys have to start thinking about your tax implications when it comes to this much higher revenue. Remember, Uncle Sam, the government, is going to look at your weekly gross and calculate that multiplied over 52 weeks for a year to figure out what your tax bracket's in. So the more taxable income you have, it's going to look and like you're going to be making that year round. They don't care. They're not saying, oh, well, you know, this particular person is only going to be making that for two or three weeks. The company isn't capable of doing that. The IRS doesn't work that way. And the payroll company doesn't work that way. They look at your gross weekly taxable income. Basically, to simplify it, it's multiplied by 52 weeks. And they say, this is your annual income. You fall this week under this tax bracket. So when you're making ridiculous money, you're going to pay ridiculous taxes. I understand that you're not going to be making this potentially for an entire year. So the good news is you're going to over, overpace. For some of you, you're going to say, what did I do this for? I went and made this crazy money, let's say on a strike, and I literally you know, had all of it go to the taxes. 
You did. But again, if you're not going to make that, it means you really did overpay because you're you're paying as if you made that for an entire year. When the end of the year comes back and you didn't make all that, they're going to look at what you actually did make and you're going to probably get a lot of that back. But you're going to basically be lending it to the IRS, and I'm sorry, the IRS, to the, to the government, to your those states' taxes and to national taxes for the entire rest of that year until you have a CPA, not a not a not an accountant, not a pop-up uh, accounting you know place. Do your taxes. You're gonna have a CPA, right? Do your taxes. You will get most of that back, but it is not gonna look very healthy on your weekly paycheck. And by the way, the more of these you do, the more money you make, the more higher paying assignments you have, the less of that you're gonna get back. So be prepared for that. Don't get sucked into the weekly gross especially in those situations where you're going to be paying a lot of money for your housing, really look at what is my take-home, what are my taxes going to be. You can figure that out. How much is tax-free? Look at all this taxable income. Multiply it by 52. Look at the tax bracket that you're going to be in and be prepared for what your check is going to look like because, again, during the pandemic, for months and months and months, I used to kind of get a chuckle out of these People, these travelers that were seemed like they were new, saying, "I worked, I made ten thousand dollars, and I only got to keep five thousand of it." It's like, yeah, that's the way the United States works. When you make that kind of money, you get taxed that much. That's our current system. There's, there's not a whole lot you can do about it, except for, you know, well, I won't get political. It's not much you can do about it. So understand what you're going into. That's the way our, our tax. And our taxes work in this country. The more money you make, it is a sliding scale, and then you're going to be taxed heavier on it. But in your case, if you're not doing this year-round, you will be able to put a lot of that back in your pocket. You'll be able to see that, and it will come back to you. A lot of those dollars, especially if you are in a situation where you weren't able to work for a month or two because of you, you went on a strike and you had to go back and find, it all evens out is what I'm getting at. It, you guys are going to be fine. Just understand that what the gross weekly on even these high-paying assignments you're seeing doesn't mean you're going to be able to take most of that home with you in your pocket weekly. You're probably not. And the bigger the pay, the less you're actually going to take in your pocket. So, guys, I hope this one made sense. I, I personally believe that crisis staffing is a really wonderful shot in the arm for many of you that so deserve to make high-paying high assignments and be able to make some really strong income to... You know, I don't care if it's just to get yourself a little bit of a debt, to be able to go out and do something nice for yourself, to put some money in the bank, to invest in some other things. All of that makes sense to me. I just want you to really think about what you're getting into so that you can be successful on these assignments. Talk to your peers. You know, research some of this different you know situations where you're talking about, you know, tax implications or what the housing looks like down there. All these things should be heavily looked at and research by you before you start signing on the dotted line and going and getting your car or getting on a plane to go take one of these things because they can be wonderful or they can be a misfire on your part. And then you're going to be listening to episodes like and we talked about in episode number six, I believe, where it's navigating a tough assignment and trying to do your best to stay in there when you're just miserable. And I don't want that for you guys. So enjoy crisis staffing. If it's meant for you, stay away from it, I guess, if it's not. Guys, I appreciate it as always. And I'll catch you next time on Travel Evolved.